<laughs> we'll see. This morning we're going to be in the book of First Thessalonians. I hope I don't have to say that too many times without getting tongue-tied this morning. And we'll be in the fifth chapter. And I have titled this message, as you can see, Words of Encouragement, Be Ready. So hopefully by the time we're done this morning, you'll find a few of these words to be encouraging. Uh, before we get into the text in the fifth chapter, I would tell you that Paul established the church at Thessalonica about 51 AD as part of his second missionary journey. These believers were very new Christians learning how to be the church at a very difficult time. Unfortunately, for first century Christians, they came face to face with their own mortality, as many of them were stoned, beaten, and tortured, and even killed because of their faith. This was a time when being a Christian meant giving up everything. So Paul, knowing of their situation, wrote them this letter to thank them for their faithfulness, to comfort them by reminding them of the hope of the resurrection to come and to be ready for the return of Christ and to give them encouragement to continue their newfound Christian journey. At the end of chapter 4, we hear that very familiar description of the beautiful scene when Christ will return in all his glory and resurrects those believers that have died and gathers those who are still living to be with him in the air, to be with him forever. He concludes chapter 4 with this verse, Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So, hang in there with me. This is a very long text. We'll see if we can get through all this this morning. So Paul writes, describing the day of the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And then he gives instructions on how to do that. So he tells them, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened and help the weak. Be patient with everyone. 
Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And he closes this letter by saying, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let us pray. Father, we always thank you for the gift of your holy word. And we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds this morning, that we would be attentive to your word, and that you would be with me and guide and direct my words and thoughts. Amen. So as we get into this passage, Paul is telling these folks that it's useless to try and figure out when Christ will return. Now it's easy to assume that given the circumstances of their persecution, they are anticipating his return very soon. We can certainly identify with anticipation, can't we? Is there anything you're looking forward to now? Anything you're waiting for with great anticipation? Have you ever looked forward to something that you knew was coming with so much anticipation that it totally consumed you from everything else? It's so easy to do. I mean, we just came through the Christmas holidays and we know how the kids are with their anticipation leading up to Christmas, even though they know when it is, it can't get here soon enough, right? We also know, Paul referenced also about the birth of a baby. So we know that day's coming and I'm sure most of the mothers probably wish it would probably come sooner than it does, but it eventually gets here. Maybe some of you are Looking forward to retirement. You don't know when that is and when that might come. And I kind of remember when I started my work career early on and I was working with some older guys that taught me a lot. They were great guys, but it seemed like at lunchtime and different times through the day, they were always on their computer doing things. And I finally said, what the heck are you guys doing? They said, well, we're checking our 401k. You know, we got to check our investments and everything else. I said, well, when are you going to retire? Well, we don't know yet, but it's not going to be too far down the road. You know, maybe in the next year or two. And I thought, why are they wasting so much time doing that and missing out on whatever else they should be doing? You know, because that's a ways down the road yet. Then a few years ago, I found myself sitting there doing the same, very same thing, being prepared for retirement. Maybe we're all anticipating the end of COVID, aren't we? We don't really know. We hope that's going to end soon. We hope the Lord will end that. But we don't know when it really is going to end. But it gets so consuming in our lives sometimes that we just don't think about anything else. While it's certainly appropriate to look forward to Christ's return, especially if you're experiencing difficult times, it's as if Paul was saying, 
Don't be so totally consumed with this and nothing else because you already know that you don't know when this day will come. Even Jesus himself doesn't know the date or hour of his return. These are his own words that Matthew recorded for us. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So it seems obvious that if Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour, God has not appointed us to know either. And it's actually probably better that we don't know. And also, allowing ourselves to be totally consumed by a future event as I said earlier, can render us totally ineffective for the here and now. Someone has said it this way, expecting is the greatest impediment to living. In anticipation of tomorrow, it loses today. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. So while we know that Christ will return, we still need to live for today. As Paul goes on, we know that The day of the Lord will be magnificent for the believers. But he also doesn't mince any words about what will happen to the non-believers when Christ returns. Because he writes, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains, and they will not escape. They will not get a second chance. It's interesting to me that Paul uses the words that destruction will come while people are saying peace and safety. I think he uses this reference to remind the Jewish believers of the destruction of Jerusalem that occurred some 600 years prior. Jerusalem was stormed, their temple was burnt down, several hundreds of thousands of them were massacred, and the rest of them were sold as slaves and dispersed over the face of the earth. But did this come without warning? Well, it depended on who they listened to. The false prophets of the day were proclaiming peace and safety. Nothing to worry about. In other words, remain in your careless, unconcerned state of mind and continue your sinful ways because God's not really going to judge you. He wouldn't bring his wrath and judgment on you, his chosen people. But what were God's prophets saying? Jeremiah would say, Alas, sovereign Lord, how completely you have deceived this people and Jerusalem by saying, You will have peace when the sword is at our throats. Later he would say, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Ezekiel says it this way, because they lead my people astray, saying peace, when there is no peace, and because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash, therefore tell those who cover it with whitewash, that is going to fall. Rain will come in torrents and I will send hailstones hurtling down and violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask, where's the whitewash that you covered it with? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In my wrath, I will unleash a violent wind and in my anger, hailstones and torrents of rain will fall with destructive fury. I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash and will level it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you will be destroyed in it and you will know that I am the Lord. 
So I will pour out my wrath against the wall and against those who covered it with whitewash. I will say to you, the wall is gone, and so are those who whitewashed it, those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declared the sovereign Lord. Well, we certainly know that the Israelites did not heed the many warnings from God to repent and return to worship him, and as a result, they suffered the consequences. In those few short verses, Paul's reminded them what happened to their ancestors who didn't remain faithful to God and pay attention to his warnings because he doesn't want this to happen again. Well, it's an interesting thing about paying attention. Maybe I should ask if you're paying attention right now. Uh, who or what do we pay attention to? And how do we know what to believe? You know, a friend of ours who was one of Mark's teachers in high school always had his little quotes and he loved to tell a lot of his students, I can give you the secret to success in life in only two words, pay attention. That may be true, partly. Um, if you ever watch Charles Stanley on TV when he's preaching, just when he was getting ready to say something, he was really important. If you've heard this before, he would always say, are you listening? Say amen. Then he would say whatever he wanted to say. We might have even heard Pastor Joel say, can I tell you something? It means it's time to pay attention. But it's so easy to become distracted. I don't know why I never forget this, but one morning I was in freshman algebra class, and it was first period of the day. And we had had a freshman basketball game the night before, and the algebra teacher was the official who kept the scoreboard and ran the clock. And he must have asked me something that I wasn't paying attention to because the next thing I heard was, Mr. Tryon, how many points did you have last night? Well, for me, I actually had a pretty good game. I said, I don't know, 10 or 12 or something like that. He said, well, this is algebra class. It's time to pay attention now. So, so again, who do we pay attention to and how do we know if they're trustworthy? Jeremiah would tell us, that the prophet who prophesies peace, peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord only if his prediction comes true. Do they have credibility? Do they have a track record? Do we know they might be speaking from the Lord? Because remember, the enemy does not want anyone paying attention to God's word. He doesn't want anybody to know what's right and true. That's why there will always be false prophets and descending opinions and descending voices on most things. So I would encourage us to always pay attention to God's word and always seek the truth. So after these warnings, Paul then encourages the believers by reminding them of these things in the next several verses. We're not going to reread all that again. But what he's saying is, as believers, you are not in darkness so the day of the Lord shouldn't surprise you like a thief in the night. Because those who are in darkness seek the night to engage in their evil endeavors. They avoid instruction as they prefer ignorance to the word of God. They have either rejected it or aren't yet ready to hear it. But you, you are children of the light, children of the day. And because you are, you know that this day will be coming, just not exactly when. So be watchful. You will see the signs if you pay attention. The truth has nothing to hide. 
Everything can be out in the open, viewed in the light of day. So live together with Christ. And be self-controlled and protect your salvation. Put on the armor of God. Put your faith and encourage each other. Put on your faith and encourage each other. Build each other up along the journey. So if we're to build each other up and encourage each other along the journey, what are we supposed to do? So Paul gives us these instructions. First, he says, respect your leaders in the faith that God has placed in your presence and hold them in the highest regard. Now, I don't know if it's just me or what you think about this, but I think our pastors and our faith leaders in the world today are no longer held in the same high regard that they used to be. I always used to remember that people would always talk about pastors, police officers, doctors, nurses, all these people that we held in the highest regard. I don't think it's that way anymore. We certainly don't see that people hold our law enforcement people in the highest regard like they used to. Actually, it's pretty sad. But you see, there's a funny thing about respect. Because when you don't respect the position or the person, it's so much easier to disregard their leadership and their instruction. So if you don't respect them, you can disregard what they're saying. Or maybe that reverses and say, if you already have total disregard for the word, why would you give any respect to the person that's proclaiming the word? So when it comes to our pastors, we can't let this happen. We need to hold them in high regard. We need to encourage them. And we also need to pray for God to give us more pastors and more leaders in the faith. We all know we're blessed to have Pastor Joel. He's committed to the Lord and committed to be our pastor. But don't forget, he needs our prayers, our encouragement, our understanding, and most of all, our help. Paul goes on to say we're to live in peace with each other. He's talking about real honest peace, not the false peace referred to earlier that leads to destruction. He said to warn those who are idle because they can become disruptive. And we don't want anyone falling away. We want people to get engaged and stay engaged. Encourage the timid. Don't be afraid of challenges. Be willing to take a risk. Be willing to volunteer in ministry. The battle we are fighting is not ours. The battle is of the Lord's. He goes on to say, help the weary. We know it's easy to get burned out, so we need help to help each other to keep that from happening. Be patient and kind to each other. He says, if you're wronged, don't pay back wrong for wrong. Have you ever heard anybody say, I don't get back, I get even? <laughs> I think I've probably said that a time, a time or two myself more sarcastically than anything else, but you know what? There's no room for that attitude in the body of Christ. He then says, be joyful always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for his followers, that we should always be in the Spirit, in prayer, and continually grateful and obedient. You know, every once in a while I listen to a guy by the name of Steve Brown on the radio. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he always puts these little sound bites and snippets out there. And last week I heard him say this as a commercial for one of his programs. 
Slaves don't recruit slaves. Think about that. (laughs) Slaves don't recruit slaves. In other words, he's saying, who would want to be recruited to a life of misery? He says, be joyful, be hopeful. Paul's just saying this, be joyful in all circumstances. Be hopeful. Sure, we all have difficult circumstances from time to time. But when we don't follow our natural inclinations to be down and out or miserable, but instead make a conscious decision to have God's attitude, the focus on our circumstances will start to fade away. This will help us become joyful again and be attractive to others. For a joyful attitude in Christ will help us see others as God sees them and opens our willingness to share him with them. Finally here he says, do not put out the Spirit's fire and do not treat prophecies with contempt. The presence of the Holy Spirit is a gift and God's leading in the message of salvation and grace can come from many different folks and it usually comes to those who are faithful and attentive. And we all need the Spirit who guides and sustains us for there's no growth if we are not willing to accept and follow the Spirit. That's why Paul says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. You see, God can speak through anyone he chooses. Just think of the prophets of old. There were some pretty interesting characters there, weren't there? So we must be careful not to dismiss someone because we don't like them or we don't like what they're saying. Because if the Spirit of God has continued to be rejected, eventually he will start withholding it from us. And the true teachings and leadings of God are rooted in the Spirit, not in the will of man. So if you're not sure, it's okay to test what's being said. In fact, the very next thing Paul says is to test everything. In testing everything, be discerning. Do you automatically believe everything you're told? I don't know if any of you watched or liked the show NCIS. I've always been a big NCIS fan. And if you don't know anything about that show, or if you do, the lead character, um, Mark Harmon, plays special agent Jethro Gibbs. And Gibbs has his rules. He has his rules for life. He has his rules for everything. And he teaches them to everybody on his team all the time. And Gibbs' rule number three is simply... Don't believe anything anyone tells you. Double check everything. Also, his rule number eight says don't take anything for granted. And as he progressed on and got farther up the list, he did have to finally add rule number 51 that says sometimes you're wrong. Um, But maybe sometimes we are wrong. But we do need to test everything just as... The early Israelites did not test what they were being told, that there was peace and safety all around. So test everything against the word of God. Seek the truth. Is what's being said rooted in the spirit, or is it coming from man's desires? And don't be careless and allow yourselves to be lulled into a condition where you automatically believe what you're told 
And sadly, that is so prevalent today, and I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but the media, the news, the politics, everything has an agenda that they want you to believe. Everything they're saying is true. We need to test it all. Lastly, he tells us to hold fast what is good and avoid every kind of evil. And we know as Christians we should not only avoid evil, we should also avoid even the appearance of evil. So he's given us this big long list of things to do and how to encourage each other. So how are we able to do all these things? And if we do them, what's the result? He tells us in the next two verses that God himself, the God of peace, will sanctify you through and through. May your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Isn't that what we want? To be found faithful and blameless on the day of the Lord? And isn't it reassuring to know we can always count on God's help? So after giving all these instructions, Paul wasn't quite finished as he adds one more thing that the church at Thessalonica is to do. In verse 27, he says, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. In other words, there it is, tell everyone. This ending is a bit unusual for Paul because every one of his other letters that he's written is always addressed to the entire church, not just the leadership. And his letters and words were intended for the entire church family. So we can assume that his letters would be shared with everyone. But in this letter, this is the only one that he adds this specific command to the end to make sure that it gets shared with all the believers and we can assume everyone in their circles of influence. And there are probably a couple of reasons for his emphasis about this. The first reason might be that it is thought that chapters four and five in this letter are all among the most beautiful and important in the New Testament as they explain the rapture, the return of Christ, the subsequent judgment and resurrection of the body for those believers that have already passed, and then those that are gathered up that are still living and taking with him forever. Have you ever pictured this? Do you ever have a picture in your mind of what that day will be like when the trumpet sounds and Christ returns? How glorious it will be? Secondly, though, I think he says this as a second warning. Because the word of God should never be suppressed or withheld from anyone. What happens when the people don't know the word of God? Well, don't forget, the goal of our enemy is to keep people in the darkness. And Satan's job becomes much easier when folks don't know or understand God's truth. Satan will use any means possible, and in some cases, he has even used the church against Christians. A perfect example is the early Roman church where they used the people's ignorance of the scriptures against them. They deliberately withheld the scriptures and told the folks, we'll tell you what it says. We will tell you all you need to know. It's kind of like, don't worry, peace and safety abounds. And they didn't test what they were being told. This allowed the church to create unbiblical doctrine solely for the benefit of the institution of the church, not for the benefit of the body of Christ. And this went on for many, many years as their teachings and traditions became rooted in the will of man, not from the Spirit of God. 
and this is precisely what Martin Luther railed against, eventually all these rituals and traditions had nothing to do with one's personal faith and salvation. And sadly, in many places, some of this still exists today. And we must be diligent in guarding against this happening to us. So Paul reminds the early church as well as he reminds us to read these scriptures to everyone so we don't forget. It reminds me of what St. Peter said in his second letter, things like, I will always remind you of these things, even though you already know them, because it's right to refresh your memory. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So having all of God's words written down is a great and a true miracle of God that his word has survived all these years. But what good is it if we don't read it, live it out, or share it with others, as Paul has encouraged us to do? So as Pastor Joel would say, what's our bottom line for today? Stay rooted in the word of God. The truth will always hold up in the light of day. We don't need to be in the darkness. Don't ever be ashamed of the word of God. Test what you see and hear against the word of God, remembering that the enemy wants to bring us down. Pray for our leaders in the faith, the pastors, and also pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst, because God can speak to anyone. And always follow the spirit, not the will of man. And encourage each other and be ready for the day of the Lord. For in so doing, we will not fall. We will be found faithful, and on that day, we will be welcomed into the internal kingdom of God, where we will see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.